One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello. Welcome to The Chat Returns, a mini-series of conversations about our relationships with the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Steph Watts, and we've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm purring for more. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Yes, it's always a pleasure to welcome everyone back for another episode of The Chat Returns. And Steph, welcome onto one of these episodes. This is the first time this mini-series you've been on because this is an interview we did together. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Excited to to be on the mic and joining you for this mini-series. It's really exciting um, because, I mean, yeah, you and me, Michael, we've both seen Elizabeth Ito's wonderful show, City of Ghosts. So it was really nice to kind of... Uh, to join that interview and talk to her about everything about that show and everything Ghibli that she loves as well. Yes, yeah, so City of Ghosts on Netflix sort of turned into one of the highlights of the last year for me. I know it was the same for you. How would we describe City of Ghosts and sell it to listeners who may not have watched it already? Well, I think because it is a Ghibli-related podcast, I would say very Ghibli vibes, very... Ardman's Creature Comforts was something that I really got from it, but with adorable kids going about LA hunting for ghosts. Yeah, it's a really very specific, distinctive thing. And Elizabeth Ito, the creator of this, you know, really talks about it when we talk, when we talk with her. But how to describe it? It's a sort of mockumentary kids series where each episode, the, uh, the this club of kids based in LA go hunting for ghosts, but the ghosts are sort of metaphorical representations of communities or people or areas of Los Angeles history that maybe we have forgotten about or need championing. And it really made me think a lot of Takahata in particular, films like Pompoko or even something like My Neighbor Totoro where it's Hayao Miyazaki talking about the magic in the everyday that things we may not think are magic but we're going to show you through the magic of animation that it is something really wonderful it's a really terrific series it seems to have flown under the radar probably because of Netflix algorithms and the way that kids shows are maybe pigeonholed I really think that it's just to get pretentious for a second a wonderful slice of psychogeography getting into the skin of uh, a city and showing how the history is always present uh, a massive recommendation from us and it's so wonderful to talk with elizabeth about the show and her relationship with ghibli and jake you've not seen city of ghosts so it's a whole new territory for you to explore afterwards yeah this is like going back to the old days of doing the podcast when i didn't know anything about anything we were talking about and so this is a, a great pleasure for me where i can just go off and watch the show and listen to you guys talk to the creator and just uh, really revel in it. And it's in terms of the descriptions you've given there aligning with my interests. I mean, it sounds perfect. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this interview and to watching the series. Uh, and it's just one in a long line of exciting things that we're doing at the moment because there's there's so much happening on the podcast and so much fun stuff that we're doing. Of course, there is the Ghibliotech book which is uh going to be out on september the 3rd in the uk or a month later if you're in the us and that's extremely exciting michael and i kind of working our way through all of studio ghibli's films one film at a time and uh you can go and pre-order that now if you like but that's not the only exciting thing we've got this series which is carrying on through the summer all of these amazing guests coming on to talk about ghibli and 
we can now announce that we're going to be doing even more episodes for our subscribers on Apple Podcasts because Apple Podcasts have introduced uh, a new subscription service where creators like ourselves can uh, create new and exciting episodes that kind of branch out and our fans, our listeners out there who want to get a bit more for us uh, can pay to get even more Ghibliotech. And it's what we're calling the Library Cafe. Uh, of course, what you're listening to now is the main feed, the Ghibliotech. And the Library Cafe is, is more like our breakout space, isn't it? Michael, how, how would you... How would you describe our cafe? So I really go back to high school here and revising for exams and we're there in the library hitting the books hard. But sometimes you just got to go out and have a coffee. You got to go and have a little slice of cake and talk about everything else that's happening in your lives. We do love Ghibli. We talk about Ghibli all the time, nonstop. But we do. We are, we are wonderful, complex creatures with a whole range of experience that lies like outside of out of Studio Ghibli, as hard as that may be to imagine. So this is where we'll be talking about the other things, which may have some connection to the Ghibli in our lives, but the other things that we've been enjoying, consuming, reading, playing, watching, listening to, uh, this is our space to to bring all that to the table. Yes, uh, and so by the time that you're listening to this, if you're just listening to this episode as it has come out, there will be two Library Cafe episodes already available if you hop over to the Apple Podcast subscription service. Uh, you've got us talking about some comics. Uh, so for that episode, not wanting to stray too far from our set path, uh, my comic of choice was The Complete Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Uh, Steph, uh, what did you bring along for that one? I brought... Uh very very loosely uh connected to ghibli kaguya sama love is war the manga series uh loosely connected because kaguya and tale of the princess kaguya and i ended up doing quite a scattershot approach of all the comics that i'm reading and rereading at the moment but i suppose the one with the tenuous connection to ghibli is that i'm about three quarters of the way through a reread of neil gaiman's opus sandman which has two connections to ghibli of course one being that neil gaiman wrote the English language screenplay for Princess Mononoke, but also Totoro has a cameo in Sandman. I don't know if many people out there know that, but it's in there. So we're talking about all of those on the first episode. And in the second one is a kind of current video games roundup of everything that we've been playing. Uh, anyone that heard our episode on The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild knows that much as I was totally new to Studio Ghibli, I'm also a recent convert to the medium of video games. <laughs> uh, and so if you hop over to our feed again on Apple Podcasts, uh, you can find us delving into what we're playing at the moment as well. But that's enough of that. There's, uh, there's the main event to get to, isn't it? Yes, here she is. Let's have a listen to Elizabeth Ito. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Elizabeth, thank you so much for talking with us today. We're huge fans of City of Ghosts and also huge fans of Ghibli. So it's going to be such a fun time talking with you. I suppose to kick off, the question we ask all our guests on Ghibli Attack is, what was your first Studio Ghibli experience? Well, thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here. I love uh, I love Ghibli. And yeah, I just my first experience was when I was a kid. Uh, a friend of ours had gone for, I think, like a year abroad in Japan. Um, but he's he's Japanese American. So he brought back VHS tapes of um, Studio uh, Ghibli movies. And I was really... I don't know, overwhelmed with this feeling of like, I really love these movies. Um, and to be honest, I, I don't speak Japanese and the movies were only in Japanese. So we kind of had to bring them over to my grandma's house and have her watch them with us. But I think um, the very first movie I saw was uh, My Neighbor Totoro. And I I loved it without even understanding the language, to be uh, honest. Like, I remember kind of you kind of already understand what's happening in the movie almost without knowing Japanese because um, so much of it is quiet and like so much of it is about them just exploring and um, the same way that little kids do. So, yeah. <laughs> so did you say you, you took to your grandma's house to, to watch them? What did she make of them? I think she was just honestly like really happy that we were watching a Japanese movie. <laughs> like, Throughout my childhood, I feel like they would always save clippings from newspapers that were about animation and like a lot of the Japanese newspapers, it was like anime or like things where there were screenings, they would try to um, get tickets to screenings for me to see different things. So um, I think it was just generally supportive and happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet. And it is true. So many people say that about how you could enjoy particularly Miyazaki's films without understanding the language because they're so visually powerful. I know that that's one of the reasons it's quite a cliched thing to say that he's um, sort of the Japanese Steven Spielberg, but he's such a visual storyteller that you can enjoy it in that way. And that's why it's so great for kids as well, uh, because almost when you're pre-verbal, you can still get something from these films. So how old were you? Did you you say how old you were at that point? Or do you remember? I don't completely remember, but like probably at least eight (laughs) so maybe somewhere between like eight and 12 years old also because like I guess time-wise that would set it in a certain time being that it was on VHS (laughs) (laughs) and so did did you then come across more more of their stuff as you got older because I imagine you're probably a similar generation to to me in the sense that almost through your life, they've become more available in, in, in America and in the UK and Europe. Yeah, I feel like um, it was both Totoro and maybe Kiki that came through our friend. But after that, like the first thing that I remember was that I think Fox had come out with a dubbed version of Totoro, which I was really excited about initially. <laughs> and then, yeah, I was really excited when I think like Pixar kind of picked up the picked up the slack of everybody else and and like dubbed all of them um and like I feel like that was really exciting because it was maybe the first time that I felt like they were really dubbed well (laughs) like Kiki is kind of tough for me because like some of the characters like I I love Phil Hartman don't get me wrong but like um it was a strange choice if you'd seen the Japanese version for like his version of the cat <laughs> just very um, American, I think. Uh, so it's like a kind of funny to watch in that, in that regard, but just like, I don't want to trash it because overall it was just sort of nice to have a version where I felt like it was a good uh, middle ground between like the Japanese and the English. That was like, those were some of my first memories of just when they, when they were, super huge here <laughs> so what was what were you getting from kiki's delivery service then as as a as, as a young sort of almost tween age girl i guess because that's the film now so many young women are embracing that film as as about you know burnout and finding yourself in the great wide world what was it like for you i think like um like maybe i really just focused on this interesting relationship between her and her cat <laughs> and i i mean i think it's difficult because 
I don't know, like exploration was so safe in, in Kiki. Like um, I, I can't really ever imagine like my parents sending me off somewhere, just like, even if I was just driving, like I can't, I can't imagine like going off alone, trying to find like a career and a job pretty much, or like your future. If we're going to get just really specific about like the visuals, it was really nice to see like a, like a regular brunette, heroine with like a, a cat sidekick in kind of this like pseudo European world where like I think I definitely related to sort of being enamored with like this cartoonish European um, thing that I feel like kind of a lot of Japanese people <laughs> like gravitate towards for some reason so yeah I think like I identified with it in that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool and then how far down the rabbit hole did you go uh, later on? So I guess Totoro and Keys Lewis are two of the best sort of gateway drugs there are into their in, into their films. But yeah, we, we 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 go very far down the rabbit hole. We don't want always want to presume that everyone else has gone as far as we have. So how far did you go? As a kid, it wasn't as far as like once I sort of started learning animation and started realizing that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I feel like my whole family was really into anything uh, Ghibli that came out here. Like, I remember seeing Castle in the Sky and feeling really in awe of it, but also like it's a little bit more frightening than some of the other ones that I mentioned. I don't know. I mean, when I think about it, it's hard because there's there's certain ones that were just really important to me. Like, I think Spirited Away was one where I've just always felt that movie was so deep. <laughs> like it was deep and it was dark, but also just like kind of like dark in the way that some of like the eighties movies for kids were really dark where I think it, it took a chance on depicting something that you don't typically see in animation. And you also don't typically see in stuff for, for children at all. Some of the other ones though, where I didn't uh, go deep <laughs> were like my mom and my brother watched uh, Grave of the Fireflies. And like, I've actually purposefully avoided that for my entire life, to be honest. Cause like similar to my kids, similar to like just my family in general, I'm really sensitive to like uh, movies and, and stories and things like that. So for me, there was like, this fear of like, how long is it going to take me to shake the amount of emotion that I know is in that film? Cause both my, my mom and my brother watched it and they both kind of like, it wasn't a warning. It was just like, Oh, we didn't know what to expect. And then we watched that movie and we were like destroyed. <laughs> like it just like wrecked us. And so, yeah, I feel bad cause I've avoided it, but it's mostly because I have a really hard time shaking stories like that to like not have it affect me and make me um, depressed for a while. <laughs> we, we have a friend who's just written a book about Grave of the Fireflies and he had to watch it like 40, 50 times in order to write the book. And I couldn't imagine <laughs> having to do that. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so at what point did you realized you wanted to go into animation and that's what you wanted to do and was there any influence or anything you were drawing from Ghibli as part of that journey yourself? Yeah I mean so when I was in 11th grade um, I went to a, a summer program here that's it was like a state-funded arts program and they had many different arts that you could take uh, take part in so I picked animation because it wasn't something that I'd ever that I'd ever learned about. And I thought, well, like outside of my high school, what what's something that would be interesting to try? Um, and after that summer program, I, I was just in love with it. Like I, I figured out like, this is the art that I wanna do. Um, it involves everything that I like. It involves like drawing and filmmaking and music and rhythm and um, all of that. But like, interestingly enough, that program mostly focused on like experimental animation which I think was helpful for me because like it kind of removed this level of difficulty from it. Like um, I think if I had entered into it in a, like a little bit of a more traditional route, it would have been like, you have to be um, this excellent at drawing uh, from life. You have to be, you know, really accurate about this timing. I think coming into it from that aspect already sort of opened it up. And then like, I think knowing about, Ghibli movies and knowing how they kind of just 
they're not like to me they're not dialogue heavy and they're very just like I don't know if ephemeral is the right word but there's just some aspect to them where they take time they take their time to like show things um and to let people have emotions and things like that and without having to name it like they don't say a lot out loud about what they're thinking all of those things I think definitely made me feel like that's the direction I'd like to go. I think it was a little bit shocking actually when I would bring it up as something that was like, couldn't we have more stuff that's like this kind of mood and um, like experienced people at studios kind of telling me, oh yeah, but like if you bring that up at like a big a big place like Disney, they're going to be like, yeah, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make us the big bucks here. <laughs> like that's not what people are looking for. So I think it was both like, I want to do that, but then having this really kind of rude awakening that like American animation, while they're, you know, dubbing it and profiting off of like what's valuable about it, at the same time, they they are there's sort of a fight if you want to do that kind of stuff for audiences here. What, what else were you sort of drawing on then? Um, I mean, that's a bit of a pun, sorry. But like, what what else was inspiring you when you were learning animation other than Ghibli? Uh, like British animation, I think. So like uh, Creature Comforts was like a huge uh, thing for me. Um, I mean, that was honestly something that I saw when I was younger because they would air it on um, the original short they would show on Nickelodeon. So I'd been just like, I mean, my first reaction to it was just, it's hilarious. Like, I can't believe that somebody did this and that nobody's <laughs> really run with this here because it's so entertaining. Um, and then I think I was still a student when they made the series there. Um, and so I I definitely bought the, the, the DVD, I think I had to buy like a region free DVD player or f- figure out how to do it so that I could watch it. And then also watch like the behind the scenes of how they did it because I, I was so just wanting to do that myself. So it was, yeah, it was that. It was a lot of like European, British and uh, Japanese stuff. <laughs> we've, we've just interviewed Peter Lord from Ardman for this series. Uh, so yeah, so this is amazing that... Because yeah, Ardman also have a weird connection with Ghibli. They 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 love them, but it's not necessarily a crossover that you'd immediately expect. But you're the crossover. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out because we see that stuff as just like we see their you know their TV series on kids TV here at a young age, and so we take them for granted a little bit. You know, you know so it's really always quite interesting to hear that there are international creatives and artists and animators who are inspired by their work. I th- I think also uh, Russian animation was influential on me too. Like I remember um, finding a Cheburashka stuff. Like he's this little, I don't know what kind of creature he's supposed to be or she. I'm not sure what gender the creature, what, what what gender Cheburashka is either. But they find this little creature in like an orange crate. Um, and there's a like a stop motion anima- uh, animated series that for kids that's uh, quite old I think with uh, this little character and like an alligator <laughs> that hang out um, and it's also very quiet and cute and there's a lot of cute cute acting <laughs> in it. It's interesting that you uh, mention kind of creature comforts because I think that kind of warm unscripted style really comes through in City of Ghosts which was something that I really loved about the show that it kind of just feels like real conversations. Thank you. (laughs) What was that like to kind of to make and were you kind of scripting it or were you just letting kids just say what they want like in the studio? I would love eventually to be able to try something where the kid part of it is unscripted. I think when I started I, I really thought about which dialogue is the most important to get kind of like improv quality. (laughs) Um, And adults was probably the priority, but also wanting to make the kids stuff feel unscripted. So I'm really happy that um, it, it sounded that way. And in some cases it was just in the sense where we would try to write the things that we absolutely needed the kids to ask or say, But like if we when we got to the record, noticed that a kid had trouble saying something or just was confused by what we were asking them to say, we would sometimes ask them like, well, this is what's supposed to be happening. Like imagine like your younger sister is 
has said this thing, how would you, you know, how would you respond to that? Or what would you say instead of this? And so that was really helpful, I think, in getting them to sound as if they were unscripted too. With the adults, it was really fun. Like, I hope this is sort of what the experience was like for people making creature comforts. But sometimes when people are talking, like you're still recording them and they'll go off on a tangent or they'll say something like, that's just, it's not even necessarily meant for like the interview or it wasn't something that we had planned for. But there were moments where people would say a phrase or say something to somebody else where you're like, oh, we have to find a way to work in that thing that they just said. I'm going to make a note that they said that because like, that's so personal and so nice. Like, I'm sure we can find a way to put it in the series where like, hopefully people will get entertained by that also. (laughs) There's something so open to that approach um, that really does come across in the series, even though each episode is you know quite self-contained and has an individual story how much would you define it as a hybrid documentary because this is the thing that's watching it as adults where we try to put things in compartments and boxes if we were kids we'd just be like wow this is so cool uh, how how has this landed for you and how you describe what city of ghosts is like i think the first thing was like the only term that i'd really heard to describe it was like uh mockumentary because like even on Netflix, as far as like live action shows, I was kind of trying to like search for like, what tone are we going for? So they made a series called American Vandal where it was just comedy pretty much. Um, So it was like a mockumentary where they were just spoofing like a real documentary. But I think I felt like for the stuff that I've been trying to do, it felt a little bit aggressive to call it a mockumentary because we're not really mocking anybody (laughs) or more just sort of trying to, yeah, do like a hybrid documentary where some of it is real, but some of it is fictional, but we're definitely not like making fun of the genre. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it was difficult in that regard because I wanted to, you know, emphasize that this is like a, like a composite of stories um where yeah we're not making fun but we're also definitely using some things that are real and some things that are fictionalized so how do you define that for people <laughs> not to bring everything back to Miyazaki it feels like we're, we're always doing this on on this podcast of course it's in the title but um uh it's in the production notes I think for Totoro that he says that one of his guiding principles for that film was to shine a light on what we have forgotten what we've lost these small moments that you know could be so profound. And I think that's so at the heart of City of Ghosts. Like you may go down this street, you may go past these buildings, you may walk past these people every day, but these are the amazing stories that make up the fabric of the city around us. And similarly, the use of the ghost characters, the using a supernatural, metaphorical, you know, visual aesthetic is also what Ghibli does. It made me think of like the river god sequence in um in Spirited Away, you know, where where you're presented with a supernatural being, but then you learn a little bit more and it gives you a little sense of the world around you, which I think is really profound. I wondered, it's interesting that you said that um, you weren't like maybe some of our previous guests who we've had guests on here who will be doing frame by frame analysis of Ghibli animation, doing a complete redraw of certain sequences, doing a complete redraw of backgrounds to get to that sense. It seems that you're more taking on a vibe. Is that an influence that you recognize or are we completely off on a crazy limb of our own there you're completely accurate uh, in that um like i i just don't have the the patience to probably do anything where i'm like uh recreating it <laughs> frame by frame like there's some things where i watch their stuff and it's it's like honestly like you you feel like a weird pain in your in your brain like thinking about sometimes like i'll see like a car drive by in the background of a scene and just think about like did they plan for that did somebody see that in the storyboard and realize like i'm the one that's gonna have to animate that car driving by um sorry that's a bit of a digression but yeah like you, you brought up the river ghost and to be honest like that particular ghost was in in my pitch deck i think for um city of ghosts because i really um what i love about that particular character was that he's extreme (laughs) like there's like like extremely scary things that happen with him um but then there's also the counter to that which was um to me like some of the funniest stuff in spirited away like when she's on this train going to it's not you, Baba, but it's like her sister, I think, like her her house. 
and they're just sitting there on a train kind of silent. Um, so that was one thing that really stood out to me as like, you, you get to have that contrast of like, finally this, this like weird river ghost calm down and they're on their way to like a nice little tea that plus like this, there was this gift that I put in my deck that was, um, that river ghosts like e- eating, like eating a cake, but it doesn't open a mouth on the mask. It opens it like in its body and just takes a little bite. Um, and the thing that I love about it was that it's like, it's completely strange. It's definitely a very clear choice that somebody made. Um, but it's like, it's just an extra thing. <laughs> if you think about it, it's just this really small extra detail that somebody decided to put in. But to me, it was like really meaningful because it's just, it's that character. It's like very unexpected and in, in every way imaginable. So I think that GIF really like meant to me, like this is what I want from my show too. Like I want my characters to be unexpected, have moments where you see them just having tea or something. Um, How did you land on the idea of mixing um, these sort of metaphorical creatures, uh, supernatural creatures with sort of uh, human characters? Because you also do that in Welcome to My Life, the short as well, where using the monster you know, the, 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 as, as a sort of metaphor for difference, of course. But like, how did you land on that as something that you wanted to do in a short and in a series as a storytelling mode? For Welcome to My Life, the choice was uh, mostly because I had been just trying to think about what's the best way to represent somebody who um, might feel shy or might feel kind of, just like socially awkward, um, but like they can't deny their physicalness sort of um, attracts that attention. And so it was like, okay, I guess the most extreme thing would be if you were like a monster in high school, but like just trying to play it off like this is regular, uh, what would that be like? Um, And like, I think if I back up even farther than that, it's really just this larger kind of like personal philosophy, but I know other people have this philosophy, so it's not just me. (laughs) Um, But that like, if you're going to animate something, um, animation is such a lot of work to do um, that like, for me, I want to make sure that it's worth it, that like whatever you're doing is somehow creating something that's fantastical in some way. So like for me, it's like taking a really regular story, but like projecting it onto like, not real characters or um, characters that you kind of are tricking somebody into believing they exist. You're also appreciating some stuff that's like really, really regular. Uh, so it kind of combines this this art form that I love and giving it a reason to do <laughs> to do all that work to create this uh, manufactured reality. <laughs> that works really well. That kind of mixture of like reality and this fantasy stuff in kind of making. Um, Los Angeles a place that I mean I was trying to wrap my brains for like how do I see LA in media and this is just such an interesting and yeah kind of magical but really real feeling representation of the city like for a lot of people maybe it's kind of a city that is mostly just kind of Hollywood and movies and you don't really think about people just going about their day-to-day lives living there or being kids and growing up there kind of was that something that you were thinking about what you're making it yeah for sure I mean just like any place like I've seen the city get so gentrified over the last I mean over my lifetime um like it's a I've talked to a lot of friends where they're also from here and kind of just about how the city is such a different place than we remember it being uh, when we were little um and then on top of that like besides our city getting gentrified, it also tends to get gentrified in a certain way when people see it on television or when they see it in movies and things like that, for sure. Like, I, I don't know, like, I'm sure it's like like this for, for people in other large cities too, where there's things going on, but like they, they tend to emphasize a lot of like the negatives of here. Um, and then sometimes it's negatives that other people don't necessarily think are negatives. Like I think uh, like the glitziness of Hollywood or how shiny it is or how famous, famous people live here. So they can be really fake. It's not to say that like, there aren't things like that here. <laughs> like, there, there are definitely things like that because it is very much Hollywood, but 
like Hollywood was like built on top of this place where there's definitely real things that I think um, I'm really glad that the takeaway for you guys and for hopefully like a lot of people is that LA can also be a really rich and real place that has um, enjoyable and different things than other places have. Yeah, it, it makes me think how much that style and it is such a profound thing that I think you've achieved with the series, really. Um, you know, it can be enjoyed in such a pure way, but then in a year where we've not really been able to go outside our own houses, it gives us a real sense of a walking tour of a new place. And I'm somebody who would, in London, is where we're from, you know, it's such a good place to just take a left turn down an alley that you find out is has some history dating back to the 1500s and there'll be a statue at the end whatever so the history is that is very present there but i also don't think i don't think it's a style that could travel i just, i think you've really hit upon something so unique to to that city like places maybe like new york or london maybe the the, the cycles of gentrification happen much more quickly and much more maybe violently in ways uh, people are really turfed out and wiped out in terms of those that uh, the regeneration so it really is so profound and it make again it makes me think of it makes me think of ghibli as well because i don't know how deep down the rabbit hole you went in watching uh, pompoko uh, the Isao Takahata film. I'd really recommend it. I think you'd get a kick out of it. It's about Tanuki um, and how it's a little, uh, you know, community of Tanuki that are fighting against the um, rapid modernization of the forest area that they live in, and you know, with their various magic transformations, try to fight back the developments and ultimately can only fail because you know that is the story of Japan in the 20th century. They really just concreted over so much of their natural space but it's uh, that's at the heart of ghibli as well the sense of the past and the present and trying to reckon with that and keep it alive so that's a lot of me sort of <laughs> saying how much i loved your show <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> no it's it's awesome it's really funny to hear you bring up pompoko because like i think like um somebody had told me about it in high school but just because of what they t- <laughs> what they turn into when they transform <laughs> just like my high school brain w- couldn't handle it it was just you know hilarious <laughs> it's a strong recommendation yeah once you get past the fact they've got magic magic testicles <laughs> giant magic testicles <laughs> <laughs> well i know michael just said that kind of you've like yeah really hit on something so specific to la but i kind of wanted to ask like could you see the ghost club kind of investigating any other cities? I would really love them to. One, like really selfishly, because I want to do research trips outside of where I live. <laughs> so like, I would love to travel for that. But like, yeah, I would love to, but also think um, you're right in that, like if I was to do it in another city, um, depending on how far out from here it was, I would want to do like good research about it and like talk to people who had lived lives there um find people to help me to make it who had lived lives there like even i mean like that was one thing that was i think really special about about city of ghosts was that we were able to take kind of um field trips like local trips to just hang out there in places for a day where we could think about like, what, what does it just feel like to sit here? What does it feel like to meet some of the people that we're going to talk to in the show and walk around here? So, like, a lot of it is really just, uh, I mean, like, similar to what they do for, like, a lot of, like, big Disney movies and things like that. Like, sending sending their crews on research trips so they can really make sure that they're reflecting the places that they want to reflect like really authentically and accurately. (laughs) I see it as CSI. So CSI Miami, CSI New York. There was a short-lived CSI London, I think. (laughs) So that's that's how I see this fanning out. (laughs) And something that we want to ask, um, again, it's a, a real quality of the show is that it manages to offer something profound, but also speak on the level of a kid's eye view. And it's something that Ghibli do so well is to talk to kids whilst also having profound levels if you wanted to go and delve into the themes behind it if you're an adult. How do you crack that? How do you approach it like a kid? Some of it's like doing a lot of research. By And by research, I mean like like I made big lists of like uh, like YouTube clips of like 
junior reporters or like little kids making videos. Uh, I think just when you, when I would watch it, just kind of trying to think like, does this read to me like an, an adult, uh, (laughs) like trying to seem like a kid. Um, one thing that super irks me, I think when I watch a lot of American animation is just like the kid dialogue is not, is never as funny as what, like a real kid will say to you sometimes. Um, So I think part of it, like as we're talking, I was just thinking about how much I'd enjoyed watching the documentaries about Miyazaki and about him making stuff. Uh, And I think like similar to him, it's also just liking kids. (laughs) Uh, Some of it is really just having opportunities to be around kids, uh, like of, of varying ages, but for me, like, like little kids are really exciting to be around because of like, um, it's like a combo of things, like the phrases that they'll come up with because they've heard adults say a certain phrase and sometimes they get it slightly wrong in the best way where you're just like, you don't know what you just said, but it's very funny because you don't know what that word means. Or like sometimes when they use it right because they've heard you say it, so much that they actually are using it right but it's just it's not supposed to come out of somebody that small like so I think a lot of it is really just uh like an innate appreciation for children for like their their wits (laughs) for like their humor I think for me trying to think about like how do I reflect all the ways that I was a weird kid too you know or all the things that like I know like when you think about it now as a grown-up you're kind of like embarrassed a little bit but also like if you if you do have kids you kind of start to see the same things in your own kids so it's almost like like oh oh yeah the, I am related to this little being <laughs> that's something so pure and I'm, I speak this I speak, say this quite selfishly because I'm I still call myself a recent dad even though my child is two and a half but um speaking to filmmakers animators who who are parents and they're just so inspired by their kids um it's it, it's quite you know lovely to know that i've got all that ahead of me uh, <laughs> have you shared ghibli with your kids have they watched any of the films yeah we um we probably racked up quite a few like clicks on uh, totoro on um kiki i like tried to show them spirited away because i don't know i just thought maybe but we got about like five minutes into it. <laughs> and then I think they were just like, this is scary. Um, both of them are, are qu- both of them, but like more so my son, I think is quite sensitive to drama. It's really just like heightened drama. We would try to watch things like when he was r- really little, like maybe before he had uh, gone to school, like I tried to show him um, the Curious George movie, I think thinking like, this will be fine. I hadn't even really watched it, but there was just like one moment in like the title sequence maybe where there was something slightly scary or loud or something. And he would did not want to watch the rest of it. It was like, this is a bad movie. <laughs> um, and to, like, actually like in Totoro, there was a point where I think like when they're waiting for the cat bus, he said, I don't, I don't like this movie. It's a bad movie. And I like, I actually got mad and I felt bad afterwards because it's such a, dick parent move but I was just like I was like no it's a good movie you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> so they're, they're fine with it now they love it now <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah I, I've, tr- I've tried to show um my son Totoro and he gets about as far as when May first meets Totoro and he yawns and it's his massive mouth and uh, for some reason my son has a thing about being eaten <laughs> I, just, I don't like it when Totoro is going to eat that girl uh, because he does that a couple of times. Like he has a big kind of massive mouth, doesn't he? Um, and so, yeah, we can't watch that again, but it's a delicate balance, isn't it? Cause I know Steph, we've talked about this many times over the years, like some of those early childhood film memories of things that scare you will stick with you forever and could put you on that path to being a huge horror fan, a huge film fan or put you off forever. <laughs> so we've got to tread carefully, I guess. I guess, I mean, off the back of that, I was just going to ask kind of, have you kind of all watched City of Ghosts back together and what's the kind of reaction from your kids about that? Well, yeah, it was interesting because like the first thing is that like I 
when I first started making the show, like um, my working process, like probably to other people, chaotic, but like I really wanted to hit a certain tone. And so I was like, okay, I want to make like a short animatic test, um, not animated or anything, just to my boards. And so some of my initial attempts to kind of like establish the tone, I basically asked my son to record lines for me. Um, It's such a a trip for me to think about now because when we did it, he couldn't, he couldn't really read yet. So like, I had to kind of like tell him, okay, this is what I, this is the line. Can you say it? And it worked out and it was very cute. um, But essentially it was like, kind of like when we came to making the series, it would have been too much work for me to both like have a, a voice acting kid and then be making the show and all these things. So he's, he's been involved since then. Um, now he can fully read and just is, he's probably got a different voice even than when I first did that. Uh, but like, that's just to give you a window into how involved my kids have been from the get go. And then just as we were working on it, I would be watching it or bringing it home to show them. And, um, that, that was maybe like the the greatest motivation was to be able to show them stuff and have them understand it or laugh at it or even like repeat lines. Like I think I had shown them um, the third episode about Lamert Park and I don't know how, how many days they went like saying chicken butts and laughing um, constantly. And so like that really... Um, gave me energy <laughs> to know I was on the right path. Uh, yeah, they've, they've enjoyed, they've quite enjoyed the show. So it, it's been a, a pleasure for me to kind of like show them and so, sort of feel like instant gratification. <laughs> like these kids love it. Oh, I know what I was going to tell you about. It was like in the Bob and Nancy episode, I think we were wondering whether the there's a, there's a cut in there where um, the kids decide like, let's go over to the theater and maybe Zen can drive us there. And then we cut to like a live action car chase from a movie. And um, like we were saying amongst us at work, like we're, I'm not sure if it's going to work. I think it's funny, but I'm not sure if this is going to be funny to everybody else. And then I showed it to my daughter and she just gut laughed with like, no, no reason except for that cut. And then, so we left it in and (laughs) it was very successful. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. It's making me want to go back and rewatch the series. I think a couple, a few, a couple months have passed now. I think it's time for a (laughs) rewatch. That's what an email from Netflix had told me (laughs) that like, uh, are you interested in rewatching these things? And it was like that and real Akuma, I think. (laughs) We've covered Ghibli so much on the podcast. We've gone into some other studios and directors, kind of we've covered the work of Satoshi Kon. Um, We just recently uh, watched all of the Irish animation studio Cartoon Saloon. We were just kind of wondering, where do you think we should go next? What kind of animation director or studio do you think we should dip into? Oh man, I wasn't prepared. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a whole lot of like new stuff that's coming to mind right in this moment, but I do have one old thing that I was curious if you guys had seen. I think it's like night on the night on the intergalactic railroad. Um, That's like a anime about cats. Um, It's an old anime that's about these cats on a train <laughs> and I, th- I'm bringing that up because like first like it was besides Miyazaki it was one of the first anime movies that I'd seen um, and I saw it because my family had like they, they always have loved going to movies and um, we went to like a like a animated shorts uh, festival type screening um, it wasn't really like like at an animation festival, but like it was just something they were showing at our kind of like local artsy um, shopping mall theater. So we went to see it and there, I remember there were like a, a number of like, like early CG shorts and things like that, maybe like some claymation, but the very last thing in it was this night on the inner, I think it's intergalactic railroad. And it was the first like 
animated movie I'd seen where it was it had a it was sad. <laughs> like I remember thinking that that was like really deep and sad, and I wasn't ready for that as a kid. Like um, after that, I I had the hardest time remembering if that was actually like a real experience because um, it was sort of like. Uh, metaphorical like I think these cats were on a train and what had happened was like one and they were supposed to be in high school and some some cat went missing or something so this this one cat was like riding the train and they're going through the universe (laughs) on this train and he runs into his friend and honestly I think what had happened is like the friend had passed away somehow in the in the movie and he was encountering his friend and talking to him like talking to his spirit like I remember talking to my mom about it because I think she had teared up at the end of it and cried and that was always like the good kind of like litmus test as a kid of like this is a sad movie because my one of my parents is crying yeah and it took me forever to find it and to find out like that it it was even made like I like I had googled like anime cats on a train going through the universe (laughs) it took me a while to find it I I think I just want to recommend it because like I want more people to know that it exists and like it had this like profound influence on me as a kid so like just for people to see it to like kind of know it <laughs> that is that is amazing i know you said that you uh you thought we were very high level and you wouldn't be able to pick anything we hadn't seen but that's one that i don't think that's ever had a proper release in the uk so um you know it, it's generally the story with anime that like half the great stuff in the history of anime has just never been released in the uk but that's one that has been quite high on my to watch list for years mainly because as you said <laughs> space and cats and trains <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, like cats and little, you know, jackets and vests. <laughs> That's an amazing recommendation. Elizabeth, thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, congratulations for City of Ghosts. What an amazing series. We can't wait to see what you come up with next. Thank you, guys. I appreciate all of it. <laughs> Thank you so much to Elizabeth Ito there for giving up her time to talk to us all about Ghibli and City of Ghosts. We'd strongly recommend you check out City of Ghosts. Also, I think we mentioned um, her short film, Welcome to My Life, which you can find on YouTube as well. Definitely check that out and keep her on your radar for whatever she does next. You can follow her at Kikutown, K-I-K-U-T-O-W-N-E on Twitter. Now, who do we have coming up next in the chat returns? Who's coming through the doors? It's the man with the uh, the iron heart, Alex Dudok Vit, the man who has watched Grave of the Fireflies more than maybe anyone else in history and has literally written the book on it. So we're going to be going deep with him about that absolute heartbreaker. Stay tuned for that chat. Going deep on Grave of the Fireflies and always a pleasure to talk with Alex. Of course, he's been on the podcast a couple of times before. Long-term listeners may recognise that voice and that surname as well. But until then, you can keep up with us at the usual channels. We are at Ghibliotech on Twitter. You can email us ghibli at little.studios.com. You can also follow Jake on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. You can follow Steph at underscore Steph Watts. And you can follow Michael at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our artwork is by Sophie Mo, our music is by Anthony Ying, and James Payne is our editor. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill, and Steph Watts. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.